Good morning, folks. Thank you for coming back and joining me this morning on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I am so excited to share three really great guests with you. First up this morning, I'll be joined by Andy Fortner. Andy is the head golf professional at the Pete Dye course up at the French Lick Resort. You know the French Lick Resort is one of our sponsors, but if you don't know the resort and their fantastic courses from firsthand experience, you really need to plan a trip and go check it out. The Pete Dye course at Andy Leeds, you know, they hosted the 2015 Senior PGA Championship. And in July, they'll be hosting the inaugural Senior LPGA Championship. I'm not sure there's a more beautiful setting for championship golf anywhere in the country. Say what you want about Pebble Beach and places like Bandon Dunes. And, and of course, those places are absolutely outstanding. Don't get me wrong. But the Pete Dye course at the French Lick Resort is right up there with them. It's always on Golf Digest list of top 100 courses that you can play. I'm telling you from firsthand experience from my, you know, from my time up there, the courses are always at championship level and the views from around the golf course are simply outstanding. We'll talk about that and much more when Andy joins me here in just a few minutes. Following Andy, I'll get a visit from the founder of EKR Brands, Kyle Roggenberg. Their Sync It brand is another one of the brands that we're proud to be partnering with. Their Play With Confidence tagline caught my attention several weeks ago because you know how we love to promote a positive mindset here on Next on the T, so we're partnering together with them. We'll talk about how we founded the brand and much more when Kyle joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then we'll round out the show by playing an interview I did last week with Steve Mona, the CEO of the World Golf Foundation, which runs the first tee, We Are Golf, and the World Golf Hall of Fame. Steve is annually named among the most powerful people in the game of golf by Golf Magazine. And among other things, we'll talk about National Golf Day, which will be on Wednesday, April the 26th, uh, when he and many other prominent members from around the sport will be meeting with members of Congress to talk about, among other topics, the health benefits that you get by playing the great game of golf. So we've got a lot of great stories and information coming your way on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for being here and taking the journey with me over the next 90 minutes. Like I mentioned a moment ago, Next on the Tee, obviously sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear from our good friend Steve Rondonero about the great things they've got going on up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year, our Pete Dye course hosts the first ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, be sure to go up to French or go check out FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it really is, folks, and to book your stay. And speaking of great, if you joined me a couple of months ago, you heard about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company from concept back on Black Friday to one of the sensations at this year's PGA Merchandise Show in January. Bradley Converse, the owner of Bradley Putters, joined me, like I say, back in January, and we're proud to be partnering with he and the great things that they're doing to promote their unique and outstanding line of putters. They're made from burl wood, and these aren't ornamental putters, folks. People are raving about the look and the feel of Bradley putters, and I am so excited to get mine. They are custom-made based on the shape and the colors that you like. Go online to bradleyputters.com to see how fantastic this new line of putters really is. 
Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Company. Right, folks, you know, springtime, right? You know, time to change things up. And the Bobby Jones Spring Collection is here with fresh colors and new additions that have genuine enduring character. From new polo style shirts to long sleeve button down shirts to tech shorts that, you know, have you ready to hit the links or in any other warm weather outing you may be going to. The Bobby Jones brand will keep you feeling great and looking great, either on the golf course or in, their, in the office. And when you place your order, enter the promo code NEXT on the T to get 10% off your order. So you can freshen up your wardrobe from an iconic brand, save a little money, go to bobbyjones.com. And like I say, enter the promo code NEXT on the T to freshen up your look for this spring. Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to bobbyjonesclubs.com to see the great line of drivers fairway woods and hybrids designed by one of the you know most iconic names in golf in golf club and in golf equipment design and that's jesse ortiz like his father lou and bobby jones himself jesse has a passion for golf and golf club design you remember his great tri-metal fairway woods from his days at olimar well now he's putting his creativity and innovative designs you know to you know to work by creating great golf equipment for the bobby jones company go online again to bobbyjones.com or bobbyjonesclubs.com to see his great work also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Callaway Golf. Callaway has been the fastest growing golf brand since 2013, and the Chrome Soft Golf Ball has been a major reason why. Chrome Soft is extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control, which is why Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, Jim Furyk have changed to the Chrome Soft. You have to be willing to change to get better. Chrome Soft and the new Chrome Soft X are in, uh, Chrome Soft X are in stores now. See what? They can do to help you and help your golf golf game by going to CallawayGolf.com. Chrome Soft, it's the ball that changed the ball. All right, now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is the head golf professional at the Pete Dye Course at the French Lick Resort, Andy Fortner. Let me give you some more background on Andy. Graduated from the University of Indiana back in 2005. He then went to work for the Shawnee Golf Course in Louisville, Kentucky. There, he was a part of the staff that worked to establish the first tee of Louisville program, as well as handling the day-to-day operations at the golf course. In April of 2007, he came home to Indiana and joined the staff at the French Lick Resort. He led the day-to-day operation as the first assistant professional at the Donald Ross course. He became the head golf professional in 2009. In 2012, he became a, a, a PGA Class A professional. In 2013 and again in 2016, he was awarded the Indiana Section PGA Merchandiser of the Year, and he was a finalist for the 2013 National PGA Merchandiser of the Year. 2015, he took over as the head uh, PGA professional at the Pete Dye course there at the French Lick Resort. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses there, folks, are ranked number one and number two in the state of Indiana. So, uh, you know, please check the courses out and Andy as well by going to FrenchLick.com. And I'm thrilled that Andy is with me this morning here on the show. Hey, Andy, thanks for uh, joining me this morning. How are you, my friend? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. So, Andy, let's, you know, when I have a new guest coming on the show, I always like to kind of go back, uh, you know, to the beginning, you know, talk about how old you were and when you started uh, to actually play the game of golf. You know, I, I, my dad got me started. Uh, being five foot eight, he, I think he realized that I wasn't going to make it to the NBA as I wanted. So, you know how that goes. After eighth grade, he kind of wanted me to get into something different. And so he said, why don't you try golf? And I, you know, I never really had an interest in golf. My dad never played golf. Not many people in my family had. So it's kind of, he got me started, you know, bought me a set of kind of a ping knockoffs, if you will, from there in town. And, uh, I kind of started at, kind of had a little mowing business in high school so I didn't take it too serious I was on the team but I didn't get to play a lot and 
kind of, you know, got went to college, worked one year on maintenance, uh, came home, worked one year at maintenance at Otis Park, and kind of started hanging around the golf course a lot, kind of fell in love with it, and, you know, I got to got to know the head professional there, Craig Hebert, and uh, he said, you know, I know you talked about, one time we talked about you maybe getting in the golf business, and I'm taking this new job in Louisville, and if you want to you wanna get into it, here's your chance. So I graduated from Indiana University in December of 2004, and picked up and moved to Louisville two weeks later, and so, you know, here I am today. So it's uh, just kind of on a whirlwind. And my parents thought I was crazy at first, but uh, they're, they're they're okay with it now. So it all worked out in the end. <laughs> they are. Uh, but they are. Hey, you know, Andy, you know, a milestone when we all first start to play golf is, you know, the first par, the first birdie, you know, that we ever made. Do you remember the first one you made? You know, I really don't. I know that's awful to say. I don't, you know, I, I, I do remember going out and playing like – uh, the first set I had was actually a Wilson Jr. set. My dad bought me, and about two months later, he bought me the Ping set. So I remember going to, you know, at the end of junior high into high school, and I had a Wilson that Wilson Jr. set, which was a little small at the time. But I just remember going out and, and you know, I just I enjoyed playing the game. You know, I wasn't great at it at that time, obviously, and I just kind of fell in love. You know, at that point, and it was kind of something I liked, but I didn't put a lot of time into. And then, like I said, later in college, it kind of just you know, hanging out at the golf course, like after I got done playing, they had a lighted range at night, you know, hung out with friends there. And it was kind of like, just, I enjoyed being around it. Uh, the, the whole part I enjoyed. So, uh, it, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have a storied golf career, if you will, but then just kind of decided to get in the business. I enjoyed the business side of it. And obviously the merchandise side and my favorite memory is, is going into Shawnee when we went down to visit it and the old pro still out his stuff in there. And I said, you know, Craig said, well, you know, we're going to get to ordering this, but go ahead and pick you out a couple pieces he's got left over here at the logo. I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. And then when I got to sit in <laughs> meetings with sales reps and, you know, tag, I know you think that's crazy, just tagging work, but just to, you know, to deal with that, I, I just enjoyed being around it and picking out and giving my ideas. So it just kind of stuck. And to be honest with you, I mean, I enjoy it to this day. So, Brandy, for, for folks, you know, that aren't familiar with the Shawnee Golf Course there in Louisville, talk about the golf course and then what it was like, uh, you know, getting to institute the first tee program there. So Shawnee is a is a Louisville city course, municipal course. And the years I was there, we did 47,000 rounds each year. So wow. to, if you can imagine, yeah, in, in, in Louisville, Kentucky. So it was one place that was pretty much busy all the time. So, and then also, you know, Craig had this, they had this vision of, starting this first tee program and, you know, getting to be a part of that to start it and some great leaders down there to kind of learn from and just work with was, was a, a neat, a neat experience. And also, you know, I was still pretty green, but the, by the next second year I was, I got to teach, they had a Louisville, University of Louisville had a golf class and they held it at Shawnee. And so I got to teach that. And so overall, I mean, it was a great experience for me. And what's great about Shawnee was you're kind of cook chief and bottle washer, you know, you're, you're doing everything. So you're, you're running the tea sheet, you're pulling carts in the morning, you're you're filling coolers for the guys, you're making hot dogs and hamburgers. So you have a you have a lot going on, which I think for me as a learning ground, I wouldn't have changed for the world. So I think that's you know, I see these PGM kids that get to go to great schools or great golf courses when they're in school. But man, I mean I, I don't know if there's a better learning ground than being in a place like that where you do everything. So you kinda really find out what a lot of the golf business is like. So, Andy, a couple of years later, you move over to the French Lick Resort. And for those folks who aren't familiar with the resort, talk about the history of the resort itself and how the restoration of the property really revitalized French Lick. 
so the, the French Resort opened in the early 1900s and went through, made it through the Depression and everything. And they built built, you know, it was built on the Pluto water and the Sulphur Springs during those times. And obviously, towards the end of the late, you know, the late 90s and and the early 2000s, and come pretty run down. And Mr. Cook and the Cook Group had this vision of restoring the restoring the uh, resorts and put almost 700 million dollars between West Baden and, and French Lick. And one of the one of my favorite things I, that I always hear Dave tell the story to our directors. One thing when he came in, he didn't let everyone go. He was going to pay them no matter what, even during the renovation. So he found jobs for people to do through the renovation, so they still got their check, which is pretty amazing to be closed for two years or so, and 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 still be able to pay people and give them a job. So for that, and you know, I, I came in obviously in April of 2007. So I came kind of after the opening, which was in September of 2006 for the Ross course. But to put $5 million into the Ross course, started this construction at the die course that was going to run roughly $30 million, and just totally revitalized. You know, at one time, Orange County was the poorest poorest county in the state of Indiana. So now for it to have this boom hit it and, and, and all these job opportunities, it's just been obviously, you know, 10 years later, here we are, and it's still still a great thing for the for the county and always will be Andy some of the historic you know historically famous visitors that have you know spent time on the resort kind of way back when guys like Joe Lewis Bob Hope Bing Crosby Al Capone you know Howard Hughes and, and Franklin Roosevelt kicked off his presidential campaign there back in 1931 plus the grounds hosted the Cubs and the White Sox for spring training once upon a time during World War II. Any any great legendary stories about those folks or anybody else being on the grounds that you know people like to pass on and, and still talk about? Yeah, they still talk about Joe Lewis training here. And actually, we have a picture of Joe in, downstairs here in the dye shop, actually. It's kind of framed, and he's standing with a caddy. And so, <clears throat> and what's kind of neat is people from that family that know that caddy can tell that story that, you know, he used to caddy for Joe Lewis when they come in at the Ross course. And so... There is a lot of neat stories like that that go around. You know, you hear different ones, as, but you know, and obviously they might get it construed through the years. But to, to think of all the people in Al Capone and, and those stories of him coming down here to get away and, and enjoy time away from Chicago and how many trains came here a day, and it's it's a pretty special place. And you know, I think one thing when people come to resort, one of the best things I think to do for them is take that historic tour that they can take. They sign They can. There's a place that does historic tours there and kind of gives you that kind of history that people maybe don't always grasp whenever they come here. They're coming here now after the renovation in 2006 and opening and these grander hotels. And this kind of tells the story of, you know, how it got started and and the grander it was during that time up through, you know, probably through the fifties and sixties. And Andy, you mentioned Dave Harner and we've been you know blessed to have Dave on the show a few times and he has shared this story, but for those who haven't heard it, you know, through the previous shows, talk about how the Pete Dye course, you know, came to be about because you know, when Pete Dye first, you know, originally uh, you know took a look at the property, he didn't think he could build a golf course on that piece of land. Talk about the history and how that whole how the uh, Pete Dye design uh, actually came about. So, you know, Pete Pete had come and visit, and they they had some other people come in and look at it and decide, you know, and have everybody give their thoughts. And Pete came and walked the grounds and looked at it and said, "You can't build a golf course here." Too, you know, too much move, too much ground movement. You know, you know, he had his reasons, and so, uh, well, they thought, well, we're going to build one here anyway. So, whether you want to do it or not, you know, we 
but we're going to build one because they they'd had their you know Mr. Ferguson and Dave they've had their heart set that they were going to build a golf course here. So uh, he called back the next day and I guess he looked at some topo maps just to pick out the 18 highest points and kind of where he can map it. And uh, he said called back and said he 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 could build one and he was going to build it. So he wanted to build it. So that that was a pretty neat story. I got you know I got the pleasure. Obviously I wasn't head golf professional here, but I was still in the golf department at that time and. Uh, when Pete would come visit, and so it's it's pretty pretty neat to uh, think what this land was up here and how he how he molded it into what he wanted, and obviously a lot of trees gone and everything, and to the way it looks today compared to when it was just a house up here. So it's a it was a and pretty Andy, t- pretty neat journey. Talk about the views that you get while playing that golf course because some of them are absolutely spectacular. Yeah, we're on the second highest point in Indiana, so you know a lot of people who don't under, you know understand they're outside of Indiana think, oh, Indiana's pretty flat, which it is relative. But at the end of the day, Southern Indiana has a lot more rolling hills. So here on t- this is the second highest point in Indiana, and it is you can see it, you know on clear days you can see up to 40, 50 miles in any direction. So when people get up here, I mean it's just you you drive up the hill from down in the valley. Obviously the whole resort and everything's built in in a valley, so that's why they call it the valley there and for people to drive, you know, they drive up that, that large hill to the die and turn in the gates and come right up towards the golf shop. They get up, you know, they crest those hills, which you've been here and, you know, they crest the hills and all of a sudden you look over and you're like, wow, am I in Indiana anymore? So it's a, it's really, really special place at the end of the day. It's, um, you know, people, I think sometimes we work here so much, we kind of take that for granted. You know, people come in and say, this is your office. You get to sit upstairs there and look out that window and see that view. And we do. So, uh, I think sometimes we get used to it, you know, we, funny last year i remember one fall day we had beautiful sunset coming up in the distance and we see that all the time but look out there's like six or eight people that were with a group of golfers that had stopped and on their way into the shop and stopped and they're all taking pictures out there so that kind of you know kind of reaffirms the, how special it really is and andy you guys hosted the senior pga championship back in 2015 and you've got the inaugural senior lpga championship coming up there in july Talk about what it's like to host a major uh, championship like that on a course that uh, that you're leading. It's pretty special, you know. I, obviously, I wasn't leading in 2015. I came on in late in the year there, but I still I was head professional at the Ross course, so I got to work the locker room that week, which that is an experience at the end of the day. I I would not trade for anything. That was that was so cool. I mean, it was it was really neat event to be that close to the players and just behind the scenes and uh, just to be a part of that. So that you know that that whole that whole week was just so special. And so obviously with this coming up with the first ever senior uh, women's championship, I mean, that's a major, that's going to be, that's going to be so much fun. Those ladies, obviously we've held the legends championship here in the past. And so it's a lot of those ladies. That's a larger field now. And obviously this being a women's senior major, it's uh they're a great group of ladies who are just so fan friendly too. I mean, they just, they love to spend time with the, with the fans afterwards, sign autograph for kids and, it's it's a great event, so we're we're looking forward to it, and we have you know a lot of great sponsors that are helping the, with the event as well. So it should be a great three days of uh, golf there, and obviously we have the Ross Course, we have the the Symmetra Tour the week before, so you have the Championship 10th, 11th, 12th of July, and then you have the Symmetra Tour starting that Friday, Saturday, Sunday right before it. So it's going to be obviously on Golf Channel too for the senior the senior LPGA Championship. So it's be some great exposure and what should be a great tournament. 
And then you talk about some of the, you know, the interactions that, you know, you got to have being in the locker room back there in 2015 with, with the, uh, you know, senior PGA championship. And you have, you've got those, you know, you've had the LPGA legends there for a few years. Talk about some of the interactions you've had, players you've had an opportunity to, to meet and uh, maybe have some conversations with. Um, obviously with the legends, you know, I got to, a lot of the ladies here, Lori Rinker, you know, Trish Johnson, um, Lord Davies, all those ladies have just been awesome too. And then obviously in 15, uh, working the, 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 uh, locker room, you got to be in there with, uh, Fred Funk, who was one of the guys that really stood out to me. It was just super nice. Um, how Hale Owen, um, Bernhard Longer, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, uh, Brian Cairns, who is a, uh, PGA, PGA professional who played in as well, super nice guy. So you, you remember a lot of those guys, and it's such a such a cool atmosphere. Rocco was, you know, obviously there, and those guys are just so nice. I mean, really, to be honest with you, all of them are have been were really good to us, and we had a we had a great week enjoying doing that. And then you got the, the Donald Ross design course, which is also fantastic. It's celebrating its 100th birthday this year. Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship on that golf course. You know, and as modern and as beautiful as the Pete Dye course is, I sort of felt like I was walking back in time when I got the opportunity to play the Donald Ross course as well. Talk about the history and the feel of that golf course. I mean, it, it's uh, for people who love Donald Ross courses. I mean, it is true Donald Ross. You know, you got the undulating greens and the false fronts. Got some rolling hills there at the uh, at the uh, Ross course. A little more forgiving off it, but obviously he's going to make you pay around the greens if your if your short game's not not in uh, not in good order. So, you know, it, it does have that feel. You know, the the clubhouse, the golf shop, everything kind of has that you're taking a step back in time feel and. It's such a fun golf course too. I mean, I think you know, the first time people, first time I play, I'm not gonna, I'll, I'll be 100 percent honest with you. When I first moved here and I hadn't played it up to that point, I went out and played it the first time. I thought this is the craziest golf course I ever played. You know, though you get on those greens and undulation, but once you play it once, and then I mean, to me, it's it's one of my top three favorite golf courses to this day. I mean, I love playing over at the Ross course. It's uh, it tests all parts of your game. So to uh, to say that it has that feel, I would agree with you 110%. It does feel like, you know, as soon as you walk in and that, that plaid carpet there in the golf shop and just the whole feel is, you know, all the memorabilia in there, it it, it definitely feels like you're taking a step back in time. And, Andy, let's, you know, talk about the die course itself. Kind of, you know, as you, you talk about, you know, the, the Ross course and it's a little more forgiving off the tee, the, the greens and, and the short game come into play. The, the die course pretty pretty demanding off the tee, and it's uh it's you know a different challenge altogether. And uh, you know when, when I got to play it, boy, it sure did kick my butt. Talk about what what that golf course is like in trying to play play that compared to the Ross course. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you got two totally different designs as far as the the the, the layouts. Uh, you know, the the die, like I said, is a lot more demanding off the tee. Obviously, for me, especially, you know, the bailout areas around the green, trying to get up and down from those tight lies, it's really tough. And one factor, you know, you have you have wind at the Ross, and then you really have wind at the die. So, obviously, not much up here blocking it. Like I said, the second highest point in Indiana. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good test of golf. So, you know, a lot of times guys will play here and they'll say, oh, I get to go to the Ross course tomorrow. I'll say, well, I don't know if it's, you know, it, it, it's not going to be much easier for you. So, and vice versa. So, you know, guys leave the Ross and say, oh, that Ross course card today. And I'm thinking, oh, it's not going to be much better to, you know, 
not much better when you play over here. So uh, it's a two great days of golf, though. I mean, if you're wanting, you know, a good test of golf and, and two great layouts by two great, two great golf uh, architects. I mean, I think as we, far as we know, we're the only place in, in, in the world that has Pete Dye and Donald Ross at the same, same resort. So this close together. So it's a, it's a great trip. You know, if you do the hall of fame package, just like yesterday, we had, uh, we had 12 guys in from uh, Georgia that were in. And so they're playing, uh, they played die yesterday and they're playing Pete Dye, or Donald Ross tomorrow or today. So, you know, you have that overnight stay. You got, obviously we have a casino on property. So the guys enjoy that. So it's a great buddy trip and that we're seeing more and more of those buddy trips. We have a group coming in later this month. That's from all over the country, kind of collective, uh, we've had some groups from Texas last year that, you know, thinking off the top of my head. So it's becoming more and more of that type of, of trip, which is great, you know, for for those type of groups. And, you know, Andy, Golf Magazine, you know, has rated, you know, the die course and has it listed as, you know, one of the top 100 that you can play just on a personal level. Talk about what it means to be, you know, the head golf professional at one of the top top golf courses in the country. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's special. I mean, we don't, we don't try to, you know, we, we're not ones to gloat here, but we, we, we enjoy those rankings. And for me, it's, you know, it's, it's near home and it's just to be a privilege to be a part of, of the resort. You know, the cook company is a great company to work for. And so for us, you know, to have those rankings is, is awesome. We, we really enjoy it. And to be a part, you know, be, to be blessed enough to be able to run this operation that obviously Dave Harner and the cook group chose me to run. I'm just glad to be part of the team. So it's uh, it's a special place, and I'm glad to be a part of it. So, so Andy, before before I let you go, and you know, you and I were communicating about this prior to the show, but uh, you're a Buffalo Bills fan. How does how does a kid from Indiana become a Bills fan? You know, I'm not sure. At the time, it sounded like a great idea, I think, but it hasn't worked <laughs> out that way. I, I just remember, you know, I was probably in that run of Super Bowls. There, I was ten, eleven, twelve. And it kind of got to the point. I remember, if you remember, the uh, when they made it the third Super Bowl, it was like they had the deal with America, we're back. And I think everybody yeah. was kind of cheering against them at that point still. And so it was kind of like I just kind of, you know, my dad grew up kind of a Bears fan, and I was obviously young, and not that I didn't cheer for the Bears, but I just started liking the Bills. And I mean, I'm I'm diehard. My wife and I try to go to at least one road game a year. And, uh, you know, last year we were going to go to Cincinnati, but we didn't make it. Uh, we went to Chicago one year for opening week, which was awesome. And, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm diehard, and I'm here to the end. It's just it's, it's going to get better eventually, right? <laughs> you would think odds are eventually going to come in your favor. So Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, 30, I'm 36, so I'm hoping, you know, I'm 36. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, sometime in my lifetime, my, my uncle, who's uh, 80, He's been a Cubs fan his whole life, so he finally got his, uh, his, you know, his Cubs World Series last year. So I'm hoping that you know eventually it'll, I'll get a Super Bowl. Andy, before we let you go, let our listeners know how can they follow follow you and uh, follow all the great things going on up there at the French Lick Resort, whether it's online or over social media. Uh, they can follow, you know, they can follow us on French Lick Resort on. Uh, we have Instagram. The French Lick Resort does. We have a Pete Dye Instagram. Um, we also have, a uh, uh, Twitter as far as, uh, French Lick, not as active on Twitter, but we also have the Facebook pages. We have a French Lick golf Facebook page. that's very active. So they can follow us there. They can also follow us on our website. So we would love to have as many people follow us and keeps you up to date on what's going on and different announcements we have and 
a lot of pictures too on the Instagram page. A lot of great pictures of the die course and, and Ross. So that's great, Andy. Thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to be a part of the show. It was great having you here. I hope you'll come back. Again, share more of your thoughts, insights, things that are going on up there at the French Lake Resort with us. Hopefully, we'll have have some positive things to talk about with your Buffalo Bills as well. But love to have you come back on the show sometime. I appreciate you having me on. So uh, anytime you want to talk uh, golf or, or football, I'm I'm definitely here here to here to give an opinion. So I appreciate you having me on, and hopefully we'll we'll see you up here at the Die and the Ross Course soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. Tell Dave Harner I said hello, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you again real soon in between now and then. All the best to you and your family, my friend. I thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Go Bills. All right. Take care, Andy. (laughs) Take care, Andy. That's Andy Fortner from the French Lick Resort, and uh, he's the head uh, golf professional there at the Pete Dye course, which, folks, I'm telling you, from firsthand experience, both both the Pete Dye and Donald Ross design courses are absolutely spectacular. You need to go check it out. See for yourself online, FrenchLick.com. Before we get to my next guest, Kyle Roggenberg, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. For a fun, interactive experience and the best selection of golf clubs, apparel, and gear for golfers of all levels, check out our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. Whether you're a pro or a beginner, they're your one-stop golf shop for great golf deals across all of your golfing needs. You can save yourself a little time by shopping and placing your order online at PGATourSuperstore.com. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. I also want to remind you about our friends at the Orange Whip, makers of the Orange Whip Trainer. If you haven't checked it out yet, folks, the Orange Whip, you know, and you're looking for a great way to limber up before your round, improve your club head speed, or just, you know, keep your swing intact, you know, during the week and, you know, or you're still shaking off the rust from, from a long winter, then you need to go check out the Orange Whip. Folks, there isn't a better way, I promise you, to loosen up and get prepared for your rounds than by swinging the Orange Whip. My father, 73 years old, plays five days a week. He's using the Orange Whip to loosen up before his rounds. It's helping me loosen up before my rounds, plus you know, improving my club head speed. Take a look at what a great training aid it is, folks, and I wouldn't say it if I wasn't using it myself. Go online to see for yourself at orangewhiptrainer.com. And, folks, you know like you know how we like to keep things on the positive side here on Next on the Tee and have a positive approach both in life and on the golf course. Well, we're excited to be partnering with my next guest and the folks at SyncIt.com. Keep putting the positive thought, that positive thought, SyncIt, in your mind, you know, with their great line of T-shirts and hats. To win any tournament, you've got to sink the final putt, right? We wake up every day to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, get better each and every day. Have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you're going to sink it in life. Check out their great line of apparel online at SyncIt.com. And I also want to send out a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean. Thank you so much for making Next on the Tee and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate. Regularly featured podcast on both on their website and on their mobile app as well. You can see us featured right there, whether it's on their homepage or in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to promote our shows. It means a great deal to us. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it via the Podbean podcast app. And on their app, you can get instant updates every time we publish new episodes. It's free. It's got a lot of great features that let you easily discover, listen, and even publish a podcast for yourself. Whether you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the app for your podcasting needs. Get it now by going to Google Play or the Apple App Store so you can enjoy more of the podcasts you love. And we hope two of them are next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate. Find it online at podbean.com. 
We'll get to my next guest, Kyle Roggenberg, on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now joining me on the French Lake Resort guest line is Kyle Roggenberg. Let me give you some background on Kyle. He earned his master's degree from John Carroll University, and while in school, he did intern- internships with the Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Browns, and IMG. He was the captain of their basketball team as well. He established the EKR brands you know, last April, April 2016, and among the things that they do include website development, aiding companies with social media growth, sales growth, talent recruitment, and they've got a couple of great lines of apparel that you hear us bragging about here on Next on the T, the Sinkit brand in particular that we are very proud to be promoting. They also have a second line called Slang Apparel, which we'll talk about here in a moment, and I'm honored that Kyle is with me this morning here on Next on the T. Good morning, Kyle. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris, how are you? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Kyle, you graduated with your MBA back in 2008, and you you know established the EKR Brands back in 2016. First, you know, let's start off by talk about what EKR Brands is and what led you to start it up. Yeah, sure. So I, um, you know, after graduating college, like you said, I, you know, I got my MBA and, uh, you know, my career has kind of been all over the place. Uh, you know, I started uh, working for a hedge fund for a number of years and stock market crashed, which led me in a different direction. And I uh, ended up working in corporate America uh, in a different, you know, a variety of different roles, sales, finance, et cetera. And um, about a year ago, my wife and I, we both left our jobs to start, uh, start our own company. And uh, it's been great so far. We've had a lot of success and I uh, think it's been a great story for us. I have a couple of partners in that line and uh, we've been having a lot of fun with it. Uh, we're just a couple of months into it, but uh, we've had some good success with our website. We started to you know, place our product in some pro shops. So we're slowly growing, trying to figure out what our fans and customers like and don't like. And, uh, you know, we hope we can continue to grow this brand over the over the foreseeable future. So uh, talk about, the, you know, like I say, you've got a lot of different things that you do, but talk about the many B2B services that you guys offer. Yeah, so we do, um, you know, we, we with these brands that we've started, um, you know, we've learned and uh, developed skills around, you know, building websites and, you know, how to grow a social media following and how to use influencers uh, in the world to kind of help you uh, when you're first starting. We have some connections to some different athletes that have been very helpful. Um, so, yeah, so it's really, uh, you know, getting a business off the ground can be a lot of fun, but it's also challenging. So, you know, we've kind of taken the learnings we've had with our own brands, and then we have some people on our team that offer those services to other people. Um, because, again, if, if you can uh, learn from what other people have done and, you know, we're kind of a test dummies with some of the things that we do, we can pass on those positives to our clients and, and help them grow their brands as well. And Kyle, like you said, you know, we're, you know, we're helping to promote the Sinkit brands, which, you know, we think are fantastic. Sinkit.com. Talk about why, why the foray into golf? Yeah. So uh, me and a couple of my good buddies, uh, we all love golf. Uh, you know, we got four people that help start the brand. Uh, my partner is Matt Howard, uh, Howard Lutz and Tim Skufka. And we're a good mix. Uh, we got two guys that are basically scratch golfers. One's actually uh, going to be trying to qualify for the U.S. Open this year. He, uh, he's a great golfer in Northeast Ohio. His name's Tim Skufka. And then my other partner and I, we're, we're just average golfers. But but we all play together. We have a lot of fun with it. Um, and golf's a great game. I mean, the lessons you can learn on the course, you have good breaks, you have bad breaks. you got to play the ball where it lies. And, you know, I think that translates uh, into life a lot of times where – Sometimes you have good breaks, sometimes you got bad breaks, but it's really about just kind of pushing through and with confidence and always trying to find a way to, to make it. So, um, yeah, I think there's just, just that parallel between golf and life is just, I think, an amazing story, and uh, we just love being a part of it. 
And, you know, when our listeners go out to SyncIt.com, talk about, you know, the items that you got available for them online. Yeah, so uh, we have a special promo going on. If they use code SYNCIT, uh, S-I-N-K-I-T, they'll get 20% off. It's good for 48 hours. Um, so, you know, it's special for your show. Um, yeah, we, we're, we're, again, very new. We're about six months in. So we test different the, – the great thing about being online is you can test things and see what people like and what they click on. And um, so we've, we've identified a couple of our early uh, – early releases as being good performers and a couple that, you know, didn't sell well. So we're constantly rotating our product, trying to see what people like, testing things in pro shops. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're again about six months into this. So we have hats right now, shirts, some uh, miscellaneous items on there that we plan to kind of continue to grow, uh, grow the brand as we see what people like, what styles they like, you know, what the trends in the market are. And, um, you know, we'll continue to grow the brand over the next few years. And Kyle, talk about the tagline, play with confidence. That message is one of the things that, you know, really drew us to your brand. It's part of the things that we you know, we love about the brand. Talk about how you came up with that tagline and what it means to you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're standing over, the, you know, a putt to win a tournament, you know, you're shaking a little bit. and it, You know, it's just something that, you know, I, I always, you know, since we started this brand, as I'm, as I'm standing there, you know, trying to sink a putt, I'm always thinking about trying to do it with confidence because, you know, in life, you know, things happen on the course, things happen, but you got to be uh, confident in yourself. And, you know, I think, you know, the greatest athletes in the world, just, you know, we're, we're in Cleveland, we love LeBron. And, you know, you just, when you have confidence and you play with confidence, you, you know, you help yourself, you know, on the course, off the course, um, you have to be confident in life and not that you have to be cocky, but you, you have to believe in yourself and what you're doing. And, um, you know, that's what our brand's really about is trying, and we're going to continue to grow that message, but trying to help people um, build confidence in their lives, um, we're going to start sharing some more stories of, of people doing some cool things on and off the course. And, you know, that's what our brand's about. And I think it's really important to be confident in life because, you know, through the good, the bad, it's, it's just, you know, things happen and you just got to keep pushing through. And talk about where the, the concept came for your other brand, Slag Brand. Where did that come from? Yeah. So funny story, my, my wife, um, my wife, like I said, we both kind of left our jobs at the same time and she had a, she had her big break um, on the day the Cavs won the championship. She went up in a helicopter, took a bunch of pictures uh, from this guy with a, a former athlete. His name's Dustin Fox. He played he's captain of the Ohio State Buckeye National Championship team. He played in the NFL for a couple of years. He's, a, he's got a local radio show in Cleveland. He went up in the helicopter with her. The pictures went viral, and um, she sold a ton of pictures. And then a lot of people said, why don't you turn it into apparel? So she started turning some of the pictures into apparel with different designs, and that just kind of bridge to the next thing and she uh she started this slang program so she's my wife kind of runs that brand um <clears throat> but yeah she's got a lot slang uh, shopslang.com she's got a lot of cool designs really focused on you know hometowns and kind of informal apparel and tied to passion of, of people's hometowns so yeah it's a cool little brand that she's trying to grow um but her photography has been really really popular she went up uh, again for the cubs parade and and the new england parade so she's kind of taken uh, the idea of just taking pictures of these events that people, there's a lot of people at, and people want to, re, you know, remember those events forever. So they, you know, do it in the form of buying prints and frames and some shirts that she, uh, that she makes. So pretty cool little concept that just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, took one idea and it kind of exploded. So that's been a really uh, cool success story for us. She's got her pictures in Bed Bath & Beyond as well as online. So <clears throat> it's been a good story for us. Where can folks find those pictures online? Yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's a long name. Uh, it's uh, Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, Roggenberg, R-O-G-G-E-N-B-U-R-K.com. So EmilyRoggenberg.com. And because it's so long, we also uh, bought, the, bought the domain name BigParades.com, which takes you directly to her site, too. So BigParades.com or EmilyRoggenberg.com will get you to those pictures. 
And as you talk about, you know, some of the hometown feels you've got, you know, she's got some regionally inspired collections from Cleveland and Indiana, which makes sense based on uh, both of your backgrounds. But there are also some things available for Pittsburgh and Las Vegas. You know, why did you branch out? Why did she branch out to those two cities? Being a guy from Pittsburgh, I know Pittsburgh and Cleveland are not usually too kind to one another. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're Browns fans. Uh, you know, it's been a tough, uh, tough 20 years as a Browns fan, but um, you know, I, I heard uh, Andy right before me talking about the Bills. If he's ever uh, miserable, a lot of the Bills are doing. If you just uh, turn into the Browns, it'll probably feel a lot better. So, um, so you know, we we've um, we're big Browns fans, but we we know we have friends all over the country that you know give us ideas around um, the products and for slang specifically. Emily has a lot of brand reps where um, you know they they essentially get a promotion code that they can give to their friends, and then we pay them 20% of whatever sells with that promo code. So they also send us ideas. Uh, so they're kind of like independent contractors for the brand. So it's kind of a cool little model to, to help mostly college kids for kids right out of college. If they're just trying to make a little extra money, it's a fun, fun little way to do it. And, uh, you know, to, to the Cleveland end, right. And you mentioned Andy, uh, talking about the bills and, and whatnot in Cleveland, right. You know, you had, you got LeBron James. He finally brought a championship home for the, for the city to celebrate. The Indians came close Last season, they're off to a pretty nice start so far this season. The Browns, you know, well, some organizations, unfortunately, just don't get it. But talk about yeah. the energy <laughs> in the city, you know, thanks to thanks to what the Cavs have done and, uh, and even the Indians coming darn close last year. Yeah, I mean, I, if you haven't been to Cleveland, any of the listeners, I mean, it's an amazing city. And, I, again, the energy right now is as high as it's ever been. You know, last year with the Cavs winning and coming back from 3-1, I mean, that was, you know, one of the most unbelievable stories. We, in Cleveland, we call it a movie. I mean, it was, it was a movie with LeBron coming back, and that story is just absolutely unbelievable. I actually played against LeBron in high school, and, uh, you know, he's, he's an unbelievable player and, and a great person in the community and for, for the way he kind of grew up with, without having a father in life. And his mom, you know, went through some troubles when he was younger. I mean, for him to turn out the way he did with all the attention he's had is just absolutely incredible and, and what a role model he is. Um, and then with the Indians, um, you know, what a year. I mean, I think we had the best manager in baseball. I mean, they, they were, you know, their pitching rotation was beat up and for them to do what they did. I mean, they were, they were up three, one, they blew the three, one lead, but I mean, people in Cleveland were so proud of that team and the way they, they just kind of fought through adversity. I mean, that's a great story of confidence because, you know, they lost two of their top three pitchers going into the playoffs and for them to, to have a three, one lead against the Cubs, who I just were more talented to be honest last year. <clears throat> um, was absolutely incredible, and it was a great story for Cleveland. And, and yeah, the Cavs are right back in it this year, and this, the town's excited. I You know, uh, the other night they came back from the biggest uh, deficit in playoff history to, to win a game. They're up 3-0, so a lot of positive energy there, and, and the Indians are, uh, you know, a good story. And maybe the Browns will uh, turn it up here. They got the first pick in the draft this week and uh, the 12th pick as well, so maybe that'll uh, get them going in the right direction. Kyle, your uncle Gary pitched in the major leagues for several years uh, with the Twins, Red Sox, Seattle Pilots back in the 1960s. He just celebrated a 77th birthday a few days ago, so happy belated birthday to him. But talk about what it's like having an uncle who pitched in the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, if you met Gary, he's the most modest person you ever meet. He, you know, he barely talks about it unless you ask him. He's one of the you know, great guys, great personality. He was a great basketball player, too. He played at Dayton. Uh, they won the NIT tournament when he was there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, he's, uh, he's an incredible athlete, even a greater person. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's just something, honestly, I don't even really think about because he doesn't, he doesn't talk about it too much. But when other, when, when you talk to other people that saw him play or knew him, they just said he's one of the best athletes I've ever seen. So, um, it's really cool to hear that stuff from other people. But 
he's so modest. You never hear from him. So it's, it's really cool. Just a great, great person. So Kyle, just a couple more before we let you go, but it, you know, as you look at where you're at now and, and, you know, kind of, you know, what's next for, you know, for both, the, both the brands that, uh, that you're working with, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, perhaps I'm not asking you to give away any secrets here, but what are some things that you might want to tease folks that, uh, you guys might be working on and might see from, uh, from your brand soon? Yeah, for Syncit, um, you know, we're looking to get into more, uh, more apparel. So, you know, look, look for some polos coming out soon and some, some other items, some golf towels, et cetera. So we're excited about that. Um, now that we've learned a little bit about what our customers like and, um, you know, it's a little easier to, you know, to try the new things. And I think in the world we live in, it's, it's really cool because the internet allows you to test things without having to commit a significant amount of financials and inventory, right? So, I mean, I think that's the, the coolest part about selling stuff online um, is you can really test concepts without, uh, without uh, overdoing it. And, um, so, so that's what we really do with a lot of the stuff that we have for all, all of our brands is, you know, try, try them online, see how they do, you know, do some advertising online and, and, and you know, try to drive sales and, and traffic to the website and, and really trying to find, you know, influential people to help you uh, get the word out. So that's kind of what our overall strategy is for, for EK, our brand's company. And um, we've had a lot of success with SyncIt and, my, you know, my wife uh, with her photography helicopter business has been, been really good. So. So, yeah, so that's what we're kind of looking to do. And, again, uh, we'd love for the people on the show to check out Syncit.com. It's, um, you know, let us know what you think. There's there's a customer feedback form on there. And, again, they use code Syncit. They'll get 20% off for the next 48 hours. So, um, hopefully, we'll get some people to check out what we got and let us know what they think. And, Kyle, you also co-chair the Young Leaders Cabinet with the United Way of Greater Cleveland. Talk about the great work you're doing with that organization. Yeah, so uh, community has been a big part of my life. I've, I've done a lot of uh, different uh, community service work, and uh, yeah, the United Way in Cleveland. And you know, I'm I'm 33 years old, and you know, I'm kind of getting out of that young professional age. But you know, for for listeners out there that are 20 to 30, right out of school, I think getting involved in your community is a great way to um, to give back. And and you know, a lot of people, you know, you know, the the, the way you treat other people it comes back to how you know people treat you, and the more help you can give people that need it. I think it comes full circle in life and it has a positive impact on your own life as well as making a positive impact on other people's lives. So United Way is a great organization. Um, you know, I've been a part of, of them for five years and, uh, yes, it's a, it's a cool thing to be doing. Kyle, before we let you go, let our listeners know how they can, you know, stay up to date, all the great things you're doing. Remind them again about the, the website online and, and, uh, plus how they can follow you on social media as well. Yeah, so SyncIt.com. Again, let us know what you think. And uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's at SyncIt Brands. So at SyncIt Brands. But, uh, yeah, again, check out SyncIt.com. And, um, you know, again, use code SyncIt for 20% off uh, for the next 48 hours. And uh, let us know, you know, even if you're not interested in purchasing, we'd love to hear your feedback through our customer feedback form about what, what you like, what you don't like, as we continue to, to test and tweak and, and uh, get ready for hopefully a national launch uh, in physical form sometime in the next year or two. Kyle, thank you so much for being a part of this show this morning. It was great having you here. I hope you'll come back. You know, keep us updated on all the great things you're doing. And as new things come about, we'd love to, I'd love to have you back to talk all about them and uh, let our, you know, let our listeners know about what you guys have, uh, you know, evolved into and the other things you've added and that sort of thing. But it's been great having you here today. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. You guys have a great show. Uh, you know, I've been listening all morning, and I, I really, uh, it's great. I did, you know, until until you reached out to me, I didn't know much about it, but you know, you, you have a great show and. Um, I'm going to be a, an active listener going forward. So thanks so much for having me and um, uh, help try to spread the word about your show because I think it's really, really cool. I appreciate that very much, Kyle. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up soon.
Thanks, Chris. See you, man. All right. Take care, Kyle. That's Kyle Rogenberg. Again, you know, syncit.com, you know, great stuff, great apparel, great hats. And, you know, the, and, and again, what we love most about the brand is the positive vibe and the positive, you know, uh, you know, kind of gets it in your head, right? Play with confidence, right? That's what you want to see. You want to look at that. You want to remember that. You want to, you know, help you, you know, out on the golf course or whether it's, you know, anything else you're doing in your life. Great stuff. He's a great guy. And we look forward to uh, having uh, Kyle on, you know, many, many future episodes of Next on the Tee. All right, last week I had the opportunity to talk with Steve Mona, the CEO of the World Golf Foundation, which operates the first tee, We Are Golf, and the World Golf Hall of Fame. We talked about the incredible amount of money that the PGA Tour generates for charity and the impact, you know, that golf has, you know, on our overall economy. The PGA Tour, folks, provides more money to charity than every other sport combined, which is absolutely mind-boggling. We also talked about National Golf Day, the drive, chip, and putt contest, the new rules changes, and a whole lot more. I'm going to play that interview that I did with Steve for you now. Now back in making his seventh appearance with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Steve Mona. Let me remind you about Steve's background. He's the CEO of the World Golf Foundation, the organization that manages the World Golf Hall of Fame, the first tee in golf 2020. Going back to the early 80s, he served as tournament director of the Northern California Golf Association. He then became the assistant manager of press relations for the USGA and later the executive director of the Georgia State Golf Association. In November of 1993, he became the CEO of the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, which he held until March of 2008 when he assumed the role as CEO of the World Golf Foundation. He is annually named by Golf Digest and Golf Inc. Golf Inc. magazines as one of the most powerful people in the game of golf, and I'm excited to have him back with me and, and next on the tee this morning. Hey, Steve, thanks for coming back on the show. You bet, Chris. It's always great to join you and uh, look forward to spending a little time with you. I appreciate that. So, Steve, you know, I've always liked to start off our time together by getting an update on the incredible amount of money that the PGA Tour generates for charity as well as well as the impact it has on our overall economy. Can you give us an update on what those figures were for 2016? Sure. So uh, in terms of the impact that the golf industry collectively has on the U.S. economy, um, it, that's just short of $70 billion per year. And to give a little context, that's that's larger than the spectator sports and the performing arts industries combined. So if you just take a minute to think about those two and then think about golf essentially doubling uh, each of those uh, specific industries. Secondly, uh, golf influences approximately 2 million jobs in the United States, and that equates to about one out of 75 jobs in the country is impacted in some way by the golf industry. From the perspective of the charitable impact of the game, golf as a fundraising vehicle generates nearly $4 billion for various charities uh, on an annual basis. And the way that breaks down is about 84% of golf facilities in the United States, that equates to a little bit under 13,000, conduct uh, charitable events that that equates to almost 143,000 charitable events a year and 12 million participants. And what's really significant about it is the fact that uh, about 1% or a little bit more than 1% of all money that's raised for charity every year in the United States is raised through golf. 
And in addition to that, uh, almost all the money that gets raised through golf goes to causes outside of the game. So we believe that both of those are very strong points of emphasis about the golf industry that generally aren't well understood, uh, but yet speak well about our industry. Yeah, no, I mean, it's fantastic stuff, Steve. You know, the, the amount of money and the great things that the game of golf does for so many people. And to your point, it's not just people that touch the game of golf. It's just, you know, it's just so many great charities and so many great organizations. It's it's fantastic. That's why I love to to lead with that. I think that's information we've got to we got to do a better job as as media members and journalists of getting those figures out there. So kudos to you guys for the great things that you guys continue to do. And you know, Steve, we've got we've got National Golf Day coming up here in just a couple of weeks, Wednesday, April 26th, going on up at Capitol Hill. What are some of the goals that you guys have this year when you uh, get the opportunity to meet with members of Congress? Well, first of all, it's our 10th anniversary, believe it or not, this year. So uh, wow. we we're going to emphasize that point. Uh, and as part of our 10th anniversary, we're going to do something this year we've never done before. We're actually going to do a community service project the day before. So on um, Tuesday, April 25, there'll be about north of 100 people or more that will be converging upon the National Mall to do a renovation project. And we're working with the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America and some of their key, key members to help with turf renovation, but there'll be some general cleanup and, and some deferred maintenance that we'll accomplish. So our view is, hey, look, we're gonna, we've are gonna we been going to Washington now for 10 years. Why don't we try to give back a little bit? And uh, that's what we're going to do. And then shifting gears to the next day, uh, the 26th, as you referenced, uh, there, there really are three specific areas that we're going to focus on. Uh, one are in the uh, arena of uh, labor and business issues. The second um, has to do with environmental issues. And then the third uh, has to do with what's called the FIT Act, which uh, is P-H-I-T, and that stands for Personal Health Investment Today Act. The simplest way to describe it is this is legislation that would allow individuals with health savings accounts to use part of their accounts for what would be considered preventative measures around health. So what does that mean specifically? So anything that relates to uh, directly to a physical activity. So playing a sport, including golf. So what does that include? It includes equipment. So a golf clubs would be included. It includes uh, green fees to go play. It includes lessons to, to, to learn the game. It includes uh, entry fees to play in tournaments. And that applies across all sports, so whether it's soccer, basketball, baseball, football, track and field, cycling, whatever. But golf would be part of that. And we think that's important because what's also under uh, – communicated, we believe, are the health benefits of golf. And there are significant health benefits that um, that golf creates for individuals. And we're just happy to be part of the sporting uh, industry uh, from the standpoint of promoting this legislation. So that, that that's it, Chris. Those will be the three main points of emphasis this year. Yeah, but to take that a step further, Stephen, we've talked about this in the past when we've had you on the show, talking about the health benefits that golf can provide in, in, in walking the golf course, being outside, getting into the fresh air, all of those things, you know, just appreciating a beautiful day and, and outside with your friends, all of that, you know, kind of is a gift wrapped, if you will, by health benefits that the game can bring you. Talk about, you know, a, a greater movement to maybe, you know, get people, you know, more involved without 
walking a golf course and enjoying, you know, all those other benefits that the game can give you. Uh, that's correct. And so what, what we're trying to communicate and, um, and essentially convince individuals of is that there are benefits to your health and well-being by being on a golf course. And that can take many forms. I mean, even if you ride in a golf cart, for instance, you will still burn about 1,300 calories on average uh, for a uh, round of golf, as an example, about 2,000 if you if you walk. Um, and so, and even again, with respect to steps that you would take, if you walk, you're going to take about 10,000 steps, which is the daily recommended amount. But even in a golf cart, uh, that reduces by about 40%. So um, you... There are things that you do on a golf course that you don't even really realize that you're doing that benefit your health and well-being. And you mentioned a couple other ones that are extremely important, the the social nature of the game um, and being out in nature. And particularly in the world in which we live today, most of us that live in urban and suburban areas, both of those are in short supply because we're rushing around from one activity to another. We're spending huge amounts of time inside office buildings and and this gives you a chance to commune with nature and spend time with um, with friends and acquaintances in a in a relaxed, non-hurried environment. Um, and those are those have significant health benefits, which have been proven. So that's really the message that we're trying to communicate around the health benefits of golf. And Steve, you do such a great job with trying to grow the game of golf every year in a lot of different ways, you know, working with the PGA of America and the USGA. One of the areas where we've seen you have a major impact is promoting the drive, chip, and putt contest, getting more kids involved. And that's been such a rousing success. Talk about how that has grown over the last few years and then getting to obviously conduct the championship game or a championship event there at uh, Augusta National. Yeah, so when you talk drive, chip, and putt, you have to start with the, the Augusta National and the Masters Tournament Foundation, which really uh, underwrites this in large measure. But you also have to talk about the, the, the Masters uh, Tournament's two partners in this, the PGA of America, which uh, really conducts through their sections the all the various qualifying events that occurred, and the USGA, which um, helps to support this uh financially and also through just general promotion. But essentially what's happened is this has created a a whole different way to look at the game by uh, young people and, and their parents. And just to give you a sense of the scale, uh, in 2017, there will be 332 different qualifying events across the country that will wow lead to, I know that's a huge number, isn't it? That will lead to the 2018 national championship at at Augusta National on the eve of the Masters Tournament. But uh, what gets maybe not communicated as well is the the individuals start out at a a regional level, then they advance to a sub-regional level, and then uh, they then go to uh, or I'm sorry, they start at a local level, then they go to a sub-regional level, then to a regional level. So there's three uh, sets of qualifying events along the way before they ever get to the Augusta National. But for those that don't, and only 80 do get to the Masters, um, it's a great experience for these kids. And the, the golf courses that are used for the regional qualifiers, um, if you look at them closely, all have been sites of uh, major championships, whether it's a U.S. 
PGA major or a PGA of America major or otherwise. So it's a pretty uh, significant event, and it certainly captured the imagination of our country, uh, both youth and, youth and adults. And I, the final thing I would say is that for the, if you think the kids are excited about going to the Masters, uh, the parents are just as excited because the um, <laughs> The besides the junior qualifying, the junior gets to take one parent with him or her. And um, so there's there's always 80 very highly excited parents going along with 80 highly excited kids. And speaking of Augusta National, Steve, I wanted to get your thoughts on what we saw yesterday in the final round between Sergio and Justin Rose. Sergio obviously finally getting the major monkey off his back. What did you think of what you saw yesterday? Well, a couple things come to mind immediately. First, uh, the sportsmanship was just incredible between those two. And if you think about, if you recall, when they came off a of 15 green and Sergio just eagled and uh, Justin Rose had just poured in a birdie on top of that, and they both patted each other uh, walking off that green to the 16th tee. And the body language clearly was, hey, great going, way to go. Um, and then if you watched on 18, after Justin Rose had hit it in there pretty close, as it turned out, with that great break he got, this was in regulation when he hit the side of the green and it came straight toward the hole. And then Sergio stuffed it inside of him, flew it right over the top of the hole. And then Justin Rose looked back at him and put his thumbs up. Um, and then the sportsmanship when it was over after Sergio made that putt for birdie in the playoff. And, and obviously we don't know exactly what Justin said to him, but you can see that genuine emotion between the two of them. Uh, that was fantastic. And that, that, that to me is what distinguishes golf and makes it so unique and so great. Just think of other sports. Where, where would you see that? Where the other team or opponent would be openly rooting for the, for his opponent, maybe not so much to beat him, but do as well as they could. Um, so that was one thing. Um, and then the second thing was just the raw emotion that came from Sergio after he won that. It was just what a sense of relief. 73 majors over 17 years. Um, when he didn't quite get it done, and then he finally does, and at a at a place where he said and even referenced this yesterday that he didn't think he could win there, he wasn't sure if he had what it took to win a major, and then to do it there, um, and just all that emotion, and then uh, on top of that, it was the uh, the the very day that would have marked Seve Ballesteros' 60th birthday, and that was his his idol, his boyhood idol. And then finally, the last player who won the Masters, who eagled 15 on their way to do it, was Jose Maria Olathabal, a fellow Spaniard, as Seve was, and also one of um, uh, Sergio's idols. And interestingly enough, uh, Jose Maria sent Sergio a note um, that Sergio received on Wednesday night, and Jose Maria said that he didn't have a uh, partner for his locker because in the champions locker room, it's pretty small. And as there's more and more master champions, they have to double up on their lockers. And so Jose Maria said, one, I'm going to reserve this for you. And then Sergio goes out and wins. So you can't, like I like to say, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it was a Hollywood script uh, and, and what a deserving champion in Sergio. And, and then on top of it, when it looked like he was going to fall away on 13 and he makes that unbelievable par and that then is the catalyst to making birdie on 14 and eagle on 15 and hitting really close on 16 uh and then eventually birdie 18 in the playoff uh, again you just can't make this up 
Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I love the, you know, and to your point, I love the sportsmanship. It, it sort of brought me back, you know, we, we have so much of it, it seems, in the game of golf, to your point, that we don't see other places. I remember, you know, Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy at the Ryder Cup when they were pouring those uh, birdie putts on top of one another and the sportsmanship between holes between those two and, you know, Jordan Spieth and Jason Day back at the at the PGA when Jordan gave him the thumbs up, uh, you know, when uh, Jason was about to close that out. So, yeah, it was very touching. And, and I've said this to these people all day long. If, if, uh, if watching Sergio winning that Masters didn't move you or choke you up a little bit, you really need to check your pulse because it was, uh, it really was great theater and uh, great to see him, like I say, finally get the monkey off his back. You know, Steve, one of the challenges that uh, that you faced in, you know, trying to grow the game has always been the cost of, you know, playing, the cost of equipment, the cost of green fees and those things. And we've had people on this show suggest, including Gary Player last week, oh, by the way, that the golf ball, you know, how far it flies now is a major contributor because, you know, it goes so, such long distances now that causes golf courses to need more real estate which leads to need more watering to more maintenance and we're starting to see you know guys drive the ball 400 yards and it's not a rare occasion it's starting to happen more and more we've seen 59 you know tied or beaten as a matter of fact in the last six months a few times so do the usga and the rna do they really need to get together and dial the ball back you know at least for the professional golfers the usga and the rna obviously put a tremendous amount of effort and emphasis on this in recent years and and, I, and I'm privy to seeing their um, statistics come out, and which eventually come out into the public purview. But uh, basically, and let, and let me just bridge now to, to my view of all this. Um, the, the argument about the distance that the male professional golfers hit the ball is, is a valid argument. No question about it. They, they hit it tremendous distances. But then to conflate that with the overall state of the game and growth of the game, I don't think the two go together because the fact is that the average man hits a driver about 210, maybe 220. They think they hit a 250, 260, but they don't. Um, and <laughs> golf courses are not being rendered obsolete by the average 10 handicapper, I can tell you that or or right. even five handicap or even scratch golfer at a club because what people really don't understand is the difference between the tour pro and particularly the tour pro you watch on TV on the weekend who's playing at an extremely high level versus even a scratch golfer at a club level is is very very different so the the, the old quote of Jack Nicklaus or pardon me Bobby Jones talking about Jack Nicklaus playing a game with which he was not familiar is true as it relates to the difference between the amateur game and the professional game. So my view is the the equipment issue and the the distance the golf ball is traveling is really not an issue at the at the recreational level, um, and it's not having any kind of negative impact on the game, in my view, in terms of uh, the growth of the game, etc. At the highest levels, I, I get the fact that there needs to be a preservation of the distances that balls are allowed to travel. And remember, it's a combination of things, too. It's it, it's a little bit of an intellectually disingenuous argument to pin everything to the golf ball because there's other elements. The clubs, uh, the, the, the properties that are used in clubs are, you know, literally being used on rocket ships also. And 
the quality is so much better uh, than it, than they ever have been. So that so that's a piece. The other thing that gets overlooked is the physical condition of, the, of these golfers is unbelievable. I mean, you look at people like Dustin Johnson uh, and Tiger going back a number of years ago, Jason Day. Just look at Rory. I mean, the, the, these guys are physical specimens, and they're they're working five six days a week on muscles and ligaments and tendons that relate specifically to the striking of a golf ball. So they're finely tuned athletes. So that, so that's another piece. Uh, and then the other piece has to do with how everything could be maximized through launch angles and, and all the research that now exists that didn't years ago was all trial and error that exists today. So I think you put all that together it probably makes sense to some degree that they're hitting the ball a long way. Um, I do think, and I think the USGA and the RNA are paying very close attention to it. Um, I do think that that needs to be very carefully monitored at the elite level, and I'm talking PGA Tour now specifically. Um, but I think be up beneath that, that it's not an issue. Steve, speaking of the, the USGA and the RNA, I, I love – the new proposed rules that uh, will, will take effect in a couple of years. But talk about how those changes came about and why the decision was made to wait until January of 2019, with, 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 certainly with respect to how the season is a wraparound season now. But talk about the, you know, the changes made and why the decision was made to wait until January 2019 for them to go into effect. Okay, so two things. So first, um, the, the USGA and the RNA have been talking a, a number of years about simplifying the rules and try to make them more intuitive, try to reduce the number of them, and try to make uh, create as much consistency among rules as possible. And so they, they, they don't really see um, needing to have a 300-page decision on the rule book, um, for instance, and trying to reduce that as well as the overall rule book was, um, was paramount. And so so that was the the genesis of it. So they've been working dutifully over a number of years to get to to the point where the announcement, the recent announcement, was made. As far as the timing, uh, there are a couple things there. First is there is a comment period, and the USGA wants to get uh, in the RNA comments from golfers and from different bodies within golf to provide their input. Um, and then the second thing is, and on the timing piece is. All of the major rules changes are done once every four years. And then there are, once every two years, there are, I hate to say minor, but less major changes can be made. And that's the cycle that this was on. So that that's that, those are the two reasons for the timing being the way it is. Um, I think as a practical matter, uh, you, you might see people, certainly within their own Saturday morning game or Wednesday afternoon game or whenever people play, um, you may you may see people starting to gravitate toward it even before then. Um, certainly won't be that way in competitions, um, but um, I, I think as I said to uh, Mike Davis when I talked with him uh, shortly after uh, this was announced, I said th that th this was great on two levels. One, just the the pragmatic nature of the changes, reducing the number of rules, making them simpler. The changes are all good, but I said the second thing, and maybe more important, is the, for lack of a better term, the ceremonial or the philosophical um, 
changes that that this represents um, is really important because what it says is, hey, the USGA and the RNA are arguably the two most tradition-bound organizations in golf um, can can make these kinds of changes and can simplify the rules. And so, um, if if the, these organizations, these governing bodies, can do it, it, it signals um, a different day in golf. And so, I think the symbolism of it was almost as important as the practical elements of the changes. And Steve, getting back to, you know, we, we touched on a moment ago, you know, the flight of the golf ball and, you know, the costs involved with maintaining golf courses, you know, to keep up with the golf ball and that sort of thing. But for the overall, you know, cost of playing the game of golf, I mean, we've got, you know, drivers typically run, you know, three to $500 nowadays. And goodness knows with PXG, you could be spending $700 on a driver because their putters or four to five hundred dollars, and, and their iron sets you know, could cost you two to three thousand dollars. But when we look at you know the technology and the cost of you know those sorts of things and the green fees and all of that sort of thing, is there something that can be done or something that is being done that not enough people are aware of to help control the costs involved so we can get more people playing? Yeah, um, most definitely. And and I I think that what's important here is that the the full context of the game needs to be considered and by that i mean these uh these specific points number one the median green fee in the united states is 37 dollars um, you can obviously spend a lot more than that you can spend less than that but on average or, or a median if you will um, it's 37 dollars so uh, it, it can be played affordably not everywhere all the time certainly but there are places where it could be played affordably on the equipment piece uh you mentioned PXG and the cost of drivers uh, beyond that. And if if you want to play top of the line, brand new equipment, uh, you're, there's a premium you're going to pay for it, no question about it. But um, that's not how everybody has to play the game. And there are ways. Uh, take Get Golf Ready, for instance. That's a series of uh, group lessons for adults interested in taking up the game or coming back to the game. Uh, during the course of those lessons, you could actually uh, be f use the uh, facilities equipment as part of the lessons. Now, you can't keep it, obviously, but when you're out there taking a lesson, you can use uh, their equipment. It may not be perfectly suited for you, but it's probably going to be pretty close. Um, also, there are, uh, there are plenty of used club programs. Almost all the major manufacturers have them. If people were to go on their, those sites, they would see uh, clubs uh, available at, at in some cases a fraction of the the MSRP, if you will. Now they'll they'll be a little bit used, and they won't be the latest model, but they're still very good equipment. So my point is that um, if you if you really have the desire uh, and and resources are problematic um, to consume the game in sort of the kind of the top of the line manner, where you've got the most up to date equipment and you're turning it over pretty regularly, and you're playing at um, at higher end facilities. Um, there are ways to do it. Uh, not everyone has to do it that way. And I and I would even go so far as to say, for people who are new to the game, I always encourage them to 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 take a more uh, restrained financial approach to it, at least initially. Find out if you like the game, and if you do, and you want to play it, and hopefully that'll be the case. Um, then then invest. So. Um, Again, I'm, I'm not sure it has to be the same way for everybody in terms of the kind of dollars uh, that get 
that have to be invested into the game. Like, like I said, if you want to play it at the at the highest kind of level of um, new equipment, top of the line name equipment, that's one thing. But if you're willing to take a different approach, it can be consumed pretty reasonably when you compare it to other forms of recreation. Steve, just a couple more before we let you go. And I had Dennis Cohn on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he's working hard to get caddy programs back into courses around the country. And so many of the game's greatest players throughout history started off as caddies. Wouldn't the game be better suited for growth if if we could get more kids, you know, involved and get them exposure to the game? If uh, we could get more uh, golf courses, you know, to open up and offer caddy programs? No question about it. And that's why uh, we, uh, about a year and a half ago, started an initiative to try to emphasize youth caddy uh, programs and youth caddies as an entry point into the game. And if you go back in history, as you suggested, uh, a lot of kids uh, came into the game via the caddy route. And a lot of people who went on to successful careers on the PGA Tour, even winning majors, came out of caddy yards. Some of the greatest players in the history of the game did. Um, so our uh, our premise and, and what we're trying to communicate is that uh, caddying could be a means to enter the game. It can be a means to get people involved in the game that otherwise wouldn't. And these are people who could go on to become tremendous benefactors or even have positions of prominence within the game. So we've, we've got three separate approaches. One are the traditional caddy programs. Uh, and I, in every case, I mean to say youth caddy programs. Um, so the traditional and it, uh, programs that existed, a lot of the clubs in the Northeast that still have programs are trying to uh, continue to emphasize those. Second, um, uh, youth caddy academies, such as occurs uh, through the Western Golf Association's Evans program, the Colorado Golf Association's um, Eisenhower a program, and um, and then there's actually a, another program in um, Wisconsin that has um, subsidized youth caddy academies that bring kids into the game um, and create uh, summer-long experiences for them. And then, in, then the newest uh, entrant is what's called market caddy delivery system. Think um, Uber of caddies. And there are some private companies that have um, launched this, and pretty successfully, I might add, and that's another opportunity for uh, youth to get involved as caddies. And there, there's there's implications to that that have to be managed, but um, but that's an entree point, too. So we think between the three that um, that, that will continue to encourage uh, the more youth to come into the game through the caddy system, if you will, and, and we want to encourage that. And ultimately, we're interested in exposing kids to the game who otherwise wouldn't be exposed to it and who have an opportunity to become part of the game. And, Steve, before we let you go, when, one last one. When you're faced with a, a tough situation, you know, in the game, you know, you, maybe it's a decision you have to make. You're really not sure what the right, you know, right thing to do is or which way we should go. Who are some of the folks around the game that you turn to, for, you know, either for advice or just to bounce ideas off of? Well, I'm fortunate in that the board to whom I report uh, consists of the chief executives of the LPGA, the Masters, the PGA of America, the PGA Tour, the USGA, the RNA, and the European Tour. And so if you think about those seven individuals, uh, those alone are pretty wise uh, veteran 
individuals who've been part of golf for a long time have seen a lot of things and they're, they're a great source of um of counsel in addition to that i i myself have been in the golf industry now for 37 years and because of that i've developed as you might imagine a number of friends and acquaintances through the game and so from that uh and particularly in in this position in which i've been uh, the last nine years because I deal with all the different sectors of the industry, I've got relationships with the CEOs across all the sectors. So all the major equipment manufacturers, the major management companies, the major media companies, the major turf supply companies, uh, and pretty much everything in between. So um, so I can talk to almost anybody in the industry. So dep- So to answer your question directly, Chris, depending upon what the the issue is, uh, and depending upon who I think has both some technical understanding of it and in, in some cases just um, I like the way they think and how they process problems, um, I can I can talk to them. And even within our own organization, I mean, we've got people um, who have been in the game a long time and have achieved a great deal of success that I can speak to. So I, I don't really feel alone in this job is, is how I would put it, and, and because of all these uh, – relationships and resources that I can reach out to. So, Steve, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they follow you, stay up to date with all the great things that you and We Are Golf and the World Golf uh, Foundation and all the you know, organizations that, uh, that you're dealing with, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you guys are doing, whether it's online or over social media? So here's the easiest thing to do. Um, if you go on to wearegolf.org, that that is the best entree point, and that will take you to every other place, to the social media piece, to all of our different sites, and that and those of our partners. So that is where I would direct your listeners, and that would be a one-stop shop. And with just a little bit of effort, that could connect people pretty much wherever they want to go. That that's where I would uh, say that is your best uh, source to stay in tune with what we're up to. Steve, it's always a privilege to get to spend uh, some time with you. It's never enough time, but I certainly appreciate you coming back and being a part of the show as you have several times. I can't thank you enough for that, and uh, hopefully you'll come back again real soon because I know you guys are doing great things. And the best of luck you know, with World Golf Day coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks. Well, thank you, Chris. It's always a pleasure being with you. I appreciate the opportunity to spend a little time with you and look forward to the next time we can do so. All right. I thank you, Steve. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. Hope so, Chris. Take care, Steve. You too. That was my conversation uh, with Steve Moen, and I can't thank Steve enough for all of his wonderful support and for joining me several times over the last few years. The stuff that they are doing is absolutely fantastic, and the amount of money that they are generating, you know, for the PGA Tour is generating for charities, you know, all over the world is uh, is absolutely astounding. So kudos to Steve Mona and all the great folks over at We Are Golf. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. But before we close up shop, you know, we like to remind you every week about our friend PGA Tour Pro Jim Mestis and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association here, you know, an update on all the great things that they are doing. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, 
We've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Folks, they do amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go to smga.org. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks again to Andy Fortner, Kyle Rogenberg, and uh, Steve Mona for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback. Plus, if you've got some questions for you know one of our future guests or someone who's been on the show, please go on, on Facebook on our page and let me know. I'll be glad to you know get those questions answered for you. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazeri. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. You can also catch us as a free podcast on Podbean, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, those great sites. Can't thank those folks enough uh, for having our show as a part of their networks and uh, all, the great wonder, all the great support. Uh, from the folks over at Podbean. We thank you you also very, very much. Thursday Night Tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days, plus sharing their insights into today's game as well. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find us, you know, find both shows online, folks. Thursday Night Tailgate is at thursdaynighttailgate.com. This show next on the T.net. From either site, you can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free. And like I say, keep up to date with who some of our future guests are going to be as well. Thank you for choosing to listen to this show today. We know you got thousands of podcasts and show to stream or to download. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro. Where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love. From the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.